Well, today we are going to wrap up a series that we've been in now for four weeks called, what? Just Walk Across the Room. All right? So I'll do a little bit of review that in a second, but um, I want you to know that I am so grateful for your response to this series because we are in this together serving the Lord Jesus Christ to see people's lives changed and transformed. And having a series on personal evangelism is a bit scary. It's also one of those things like, I don't know if I want to be responsible for that. So I'm just not going to show up. So thanks for showing up. Thanks for walking your way through this series as we look to just walk across the room. And uh, we started out the first week by talking about the single greatest gift. And the single greatest gift a Christ follower um, can give to people according uh, around them is this, to introduce them to the resurrected Jesus. And I phrase that that way for a particular reason, because we're not passing on a religion. We're not passing on a code of ethics. We are not passing on uh, this high accountable, responsible, uh, drudgery kind of uh, lifestyle. We are passing on a beautiful relationship with Jesus, who is not historical merely. He is alive and well today and wanting to be involved in people's lives. So the greatest gift we give is to introduce people to the resurrected Jesus, not stuff it down their throat, not make sure they cross the line of faith. We're just introducing them, just like maybe you introduced yourself to someone new here this morning. Hi, my name's so-and-so. We're introducing people to the resurrected Jesus. It's quite simple. That's the greatest gift you can give. The God who created them, loves them, and has a purpose for their life. This is what evangelism is. Constantly watching for ways to give the gift of Christ and his grace to someone living different, indifferent, or far from God. So that was the first week, single greatest gift. Then we stepped into living the life in 3D. Living in 3D, we had three three Ds. Develop friendships, discover stories, and discern next steps. So as we are walking from our circle of comfort across the room into some zones of unknowns, introducing ourselves into people's lives, and whether that's in a room across the street in the neighborhood or uh, maybe at a, a rec park or some social event you're in, right? That movement from the circle of comfort to the zone of the unknown, this is what we're doing in our lifestyle. We're just merely developing friendships. We are discovering the stories of their life. And then we're just discerning, well, what might be a next step? So living in 3D, that was the second week. And then last week, we looked at the power of story, the power of story. Not only are you discovering their stories, all right, their life's journey and their search for fulfillment, but then there's opportunity, as might emerge, for you to share your story, all right, your personal salvation, your hope for change. And we wrestled and worked with that some. How many of you accountability time, a little bit of classroom work. How many of you, do I really want to ask this, Carrie? Do I really want to ask this? How many of you took the opportunity to write out your story on one sheet of paper this week? That's why pastors have bad Mondays. (laughs) All right. Class, I'm a very kind teacher. I'll give you the opportunity once again. Take the moment, a full eight and a half by 11 sheet if you want, or if you want to shrink it down to a little post-it note. That's cool, all right? How many of you would be able to articulate clearly your story? Now, what I just did is reference as to why I ended up sending out, I apologize for sending out three emails, bang, bang, bang in a row. If you happen to get them this week, I really messed up. But we are looking for people who would do cardboard testimonies. And cardboard testimonies is basically taking your story or something God's done in your life and putting it on a small, not post-it note, but a small card. Now, we had a few people, a handful of people say, hey, I'll be a part of the cardboard testimonies. But friends, this isn't going to work for us if we do it in one of the coming Sundays, unless I have at least another couple handfuls of people to do the cardboard testimonies. All right. So I sent out the email with a little bit of, hey, this is what we're trying to do. And um, a couple more responded kind of deal. But if you would like to share with the body on a Sunday morning, your cardboard testimony of your story or something that's happened recently that God's done, then Let me know, send me an email, 
mark your connection card, all those kinds of things. Your connection card should be like really full now, shouldn't it, Jer? All kinds of things just written on there from people. We receive those at the end of the service, by the way. But uh, your story, and we focused in it in men's group yesterday morning, the three parts, the before Christ, the encounter with Christ, and the after Christ. Can you articulate that clearly? Because one of the best tools you have to influence people to have a relationship with the resurrected Jesus is to articulate your story in a succinct, compelling, and very transparent and sincere manner. And maybe you don't have a huge story. Start thinking about it. Think about what it was like before you had an understanding of the full kingdom of what God's doing in your life and what he's been doing since. And um, that story is a part of what you will use in being able to influence people to follow Jesus. All right? So their story, your story, but we said it was a three-story building, right? You're moving people then ultimately to his story, the gospel of the kingdom and the resurrected Jesus, all that's involved with that, so that our salvation, if you will, isn't anchored in a me-centered, feel-good kind of moment, okay? But it's anchored in something much grander, a transcendent worldview and an understanding of all that God is doing, okay? So the power of story we looked at last week, their story, your story, his story. And um, what I want to do today is to look at the grander vision living and sort of wrap this up and just lay it before us um, in a compelling sense, not from my words, but really from the words of God himself as he might move here this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that... uh, You care. You care an awful lot for those who are far from you. And Lord, I'm even mindful here this morning that there's some individuals who may feel that they are very far from you. Maybe having slipped in here for the first time and being a part of church, I don't know, Lord, but I pray, God, that you would help us in our journey be able to lead and challenge one another into a vibrant, alive relationship with you. The one that we just worshiped the one that created us, the one who has purpose for us in this life, the one who has a destiny for us eternally. We pray, God, that you would use us and use our lives to live that life, to draw people to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I was thinking during worship, and um, it's it's just good to come and worship together uh, collectively as the body of believers and seekers I was so thankful in worship that I still live in the day of salvation the scriptures teach uh, that this is the day of salvation there will come a day when it is no longer possible to cross over a line and see the transforming power of God work in your life in fact my son Zachary the book you read was like a year ago One thing you can't do in heaven, right? The one thing you can't do in heaven, you can't do what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. You can't do personal evangelism in heaven. Over, done, door shut, God's moving on, next season of his kingdom's work. But I am thankful that today is the day of salvation and that we get to do this together, be able to lead others, encourage others, to consider what it might be like. Have you ever wanted a do-over in life? Maybe you took an exam and you went, man, I like really bombed on that. I should have studied more, right? Could I do that over? Maybe you had a work project that was like a pretty big deal, maybe for a promotion or something, and you just fell short. Maybe you had some deadline to meet and whatever kind of job you had, and and you just sort of, you know, him hauled around here and there, and you didn't get it pulled off, and there were consequences. Like, I'd like to do that over again. Maybe it's in some other aspect or season of life. Maybe uh, you've taught before and you're like, God, I have a chance to do that over again kind of deal, right? Well, I was thinking, we have this moment right now where we don't have to say, oh, I wish I could do that over again. But when we're with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth, we're gathered around the throne and we have purpose and meaning pouring through our lives and we just see our saints, the saints of old, the friends of old, the family members of old gathered around. We're giving high fives. We're hanging out doing the great uh, eternal community together. We're seeing God in all of His grandeur, His glory, understanding His plans for the ages moving forward. There might be part of us that goes, oh, man, 
I wish I could do that earthly thing over again where I had the opportunity to influence and encourage other people. I got so myopic. I got so myopic focused on the things that were temporal. Now, not that the things are temporal or bad. They're they're blessings for us. They're responsibilities for us. But we get to do this. We get to be engaged with the Holy Spirit and life change. And so the grander vision living has to do with that. There's a whole world going on right now in the spiritual realm that we can participate in more fully if we stay focused and identified there in the midst of our daily responsibilities. How many of you like to take a vacation right now and go to the Bahamas? Does that sound pretty good? Let's go to the Bahamas, go to some nice clear blue water. Maybe you've done that before and you get some snorkeling gear on. You ever done the snorkeling thing, right? I about drowned the first time they threw me out of a boat. But um, the whole snorkeling thing, and, and you know you're swimming there in the nice blue waters, 75-degree water, 75-degree sunshine, tranquil. You're floating around. you got the gear on, and you go, well, this is blissful. This is beautiful. This is serene. Oh, the stillness of this. How incredible is this? And then you take the plunge. You put your head down in the coolness of that water. And all of a sudden, before your eyes, what happens if you've done it before? Oh, my goodness. There's a whole world down there I never knew. Filled with colors and and fish of different kinds and corals. And you're just amazed and you just keep your head there. Hopefully, if you're breathing tubes working, right? And you're just floating around. Some of you know how to take the dive down deeper. Some of you do more, far more than snorkeling. You do scuba diving, I guess. But it's... Amazing, isn't it, to realize when you look on the ocean sea, you don't see that world. But if you take opportunity to look underneath, it's alive and it's active. Friends, the same is true for us in this life. You're, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not serene and tranquil. That's what's going on. Maybe it's a busy, hectic life. But if you will look between, below the surface waters... Of what God is doing, there's an incredible movement of His Spirit creating and changing lives. It's one of the thoughts I actually woke up with this morning because I was thinking about today. And I said, God, you know, we get a lot of bad news. We get a lot of bad news, heavy news, through the news, at our workplace, responsibilities in the family. And there's a weariness, a tiredness that comes over us. Now, if I ask how many of you were tired this morning, I'd get a few more hands than those of you who did your testimonies on a piece of paper. Right? You're like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired. And we have a tendency to then transpose that tiredness onto God. But God, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is alive and active. His spirit is working. And if it's not working, what's dark here, it's working on another part of the world where people are alive, right? Or even in dreams, God's working. And this beautiful world of the myriad of colors of all that God's doing, this is ours to take in and breathe and to live our life on a daily basis alive to His working, His world, and all that's going on. Do not allow your week, this week, to define your optimism concerning what God is doing in the kingdom around you. God does not grow weary and tired and gets frustrated. He just doesn't. He is continually at work to draw people to himself. Grander living. The grander vision living. I want to just give you three observations about it. The first is this. If you want to participate in this world that's below the surface, observation number one, the priority is people. The priority is people. Maybe not all the agendas and other things on your checklist, but it's the people that are around you. And the God of the universe, who's continually active, was incarnated in human flesh. His name was Jesus. And Jesus was a carpenter up till age of 30. But at the age of 30, he began to do the ministry of the Father that he was sent to this earth to do. And seeing that we were with some water analogies, I want to go back to the water story that sort of kicks the whole deal off. And that is found in Luke chapter 5, and we'll read it out of the message. And this has to do with Jesus calling his disciples. Once when he was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, which is Lake uh, Sea of Galilee, 
The crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from shore. It's Peter. Sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. Now, you can speak if you're on water. It sort of like has this echoing effect. So that's why Jesus would go out and speak from that boat. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Really? That was a great talk, Jesus. We got to go back to work. Yeah, come on. Let's go on out. Simon said, Master, you don't understand. I, I know you're good at the teaching thing, some other stuff, but we're the pros here at the fishing thing. All right. Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. I like that translation from the message. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. They let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, I think this is amazing, he fell to his knees before Jesus. He said, Master, leave. I am a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. His awesome sense of awareness of who he's in the presence of. And he knew himself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awed and overwhelmed, Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. They were all filled and overwhelmed. Jesus then said to Simon, There is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, Nets and all, and followed him. Do you identify with Peter and his brokenness concerning his own sin sickness and his inability to stand before a holy God? Maybe something happened in your life this week and you say, I don't know if I need to be in church this week. I want you to know that the God of the universe who was incarnated in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if he stood before you, he would call you out of your life and call you into grander vision living. And he would say, you've done good with these fish. But you know what? You're all tickled and excited about that. You've not seen anything yet. Instead of being fishermen, I want you to come be fishers of men, of women, of children. Come follow me. They left their nets and they took off for the world that was below the surface of what was seen. Now, I, I don't know, that's sort of a strange way probably to, to recruit people for your staff or for your office environment. I don't know. Hey, go out and do some fishing. They hauled in all these fish and so, you know, my goodness, they'd never seen such a catch. They never had to call somebody over from the other boat before him and come, we got to do with all of this. And in that moment, he makes this subtle turn with this analogy of fish to say this. You guys are all pumped up and jacked up about being able to catch these six-inch, scaly, underwater creatures. Wait until I send you out. Catch not the six inchers, but the six footers. Men, women, children. You want to get excited and overwhelmed about something? Then you come follow me into this different world. And Peter and his followers did what? They left, they turned, and they followed. Now we understand as their life went on, they didn't necessarily leave their life of fishing, always. It was still there to provide income, that kind of thing. But they entered into a different disposition Dimension, bring up something like the matrix or something like that, but you're walking into a different world. And that world is what Jesus wants you to be involved in. And there is no one below, below the qualification this morning to be able to sign on. But you have to be willing to say, yeah, my priority is going to be people. My priority is not going to be all the other things maybe that, that are around me sometimes. I want to devote myself 
to this. You know, um, I read this last week, actually, in some of the materials of the series we're walking through. A gentleman who was who was speaking uh, in a conference, and he was challenging people to live their life for God. And he had different kind of uh, uh, models or things that represented different stuff in life up before them. And uh, he had like um, he had a Hot Wheels car, a car model, and then he uh, he had a uh, a little teeny house, and then he had like a dollhouse size desk that represented um, uh, our vocations, and he unrolled this uh, roll of stickers, red stickers, and he went around as he was talking and encouraging people, and put a sticker on the car, and he put a sticker on the house, and he put a sticker on the office thing, and he he just kept walking around putting red stickers on everything. And he says, now you can't, you can't read what's on the stickers. But what's on the stickers is the word temporary. Temporary. And he went around and put stickers on everything. And we could do that today. The, the speakers and the drum sets, right? And the lights and the chairs. We, temporary, 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 temporary. He says, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. There's only one thing in this room that's not temporary. And he would walk over and put another kind of sticker on a person. Because it's only people that are eternal. And you may be finding yourself in this life with some temporary pleasure, some temporary significance, right? But when all's said and done, it's temporary. But people are eternal. I had a Facebook chat this week from a dear friend from many years ago back in my college and career ministry. She was sort of my sidekick as we knocked down ministry to young adults for a number of years. She's a nurse in Lexington area, Kentucky. And she says, Carrie, you won't believe this, but there is somebody I'm helping take care of that knows you that was from your church in Indianapolis. And she told me who it was. This individual was one of the last people we had in our home before we moved here. She was a prayer worker, originally from Korea. She's a medical doctor, very, very quiet. And she loves supporting causes. Um, she worked in a children's hospital in the Annapolis area. But I knew something that a lot of other people didn't know, and that was that she had a cancer that was starting to wreak havoc across her whole body system. And she moved to Lexington, not knowing really anybody, having any friends, not family around, because she wanted to be by a primary care physician that was able to help her more. And my friend said, I can't believe it. She knew you and Melissa. And the high regards and the journey that you guys had and the prayers and stuff. And I can't believe I get to take care of her. Things are not looking well. And it's really taken me back because you know how this happens to your life. And some of you have had death in your families or friendships in just recent weeks. It jolts you. It jolts you. I look forward to being able to contact and call my friend up and dialogue with her and, and pray with her. And whatever God's you know, uh, provision is uh, to, to heal her miraculously or, or if he's got some home going for her. At a, at a, a very, in my opinion, premature kind of age, right? I am so thankful that I know that her life and all that she did is not temporary. But what she has done for the kingdom is eternal. Grander vision living. Observation number one. The priority is people. And we have to push our way past all the junk of responsibilities, disappointments, to-do items every day of our life to make sure we're mindful that people are the priority. Observation number two is this. Observation number two is the focus is on potential. The focus is on potential. Because if you're like me, I have a certain level of uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I have a certain level of uh, compassion 
and love quotient that I can give out of myself until I'm sort of drained, especially with troublemakers, especially with obstinate people that I probably wouldn't like to give much more time to, all right? And so you start to write them off. We talked about this recently in the last few weeks. And so I have to always battle myself with this going, I guess you love them, God. So I'm going to have to love them somehow too, right? Maybe it's somebody's a coworker of yours, if it's a fellow teacher or something, I don't know. And so um, if you're going to live with this grander vision living, the priority not only is on people, but you have to focus on the potential of their lives and what God wants to do in their life. Because if you focus on what they're looking like right now and how they're acting right now, you're going to say, excuse me. But if you can get a hold of how God can change and transform we had some men testimonies a little bit of the before and after yesterday. And one individual in particular was sharing, and, and they were just a really good story about a before and after kind of thing. And I, we just smiled and to some degree laughed because it's like, isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God to take someone like that and change and transform their life into who they are now? And if you know this person now, you would never comprehend what they used to be like. Because Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, changed and transformed their life. But it's the potential you have to focus on. And Jesus did this all the time with the people he walked around. Another story that we've given some passing reference to I want to read right now comes a little bit further in Luke, just just a few verses later. All right. And it has to do with Jesus's calling of uh, Matthew in Luke 5, 27. Again, in the message translation, it says this. After this, he went out and saw a man named Levi or Matthew at his work, collecting taxes. So Levi was a tax collector, not a person well-liked because they sort of to some degree lived high off the hog because they took all these taxes from the common ordinary people. So people who were Roman citizens could really be, you know, in some type of elite status. And so if you were in that world, you'd be really bothered by the tax collector in uh, even maybe more of an unsettled way than all the tactical stuff that's involved with taxation today. Jesus said to Matthew, come along with me. And he did. He walked away from everything and went with him. Levi, Matthew, gave a large dinner then at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, tax men and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he, what is Jesus, doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners. Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Come on now. I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Can you picture Matthew? He was an outsider. Jesus came by his way. He became an insider. Jesus, I I think Jesus had a lot of fun with those who were following him. I don't know what your picture is of Jesus, the rabbi, walking around. But he wasn't a rock around and they're all home. I think they're cracking jokes. They're lively. They're giving high fives. They're saying, hey, you know, let's go hit some golf balls. Let's take off and drive those uh, little go-karts or something like that. Oh, yeah, we get to teach these people here to interact with them. But it was a lively band of guys walking around together and the other extended people. So don't ever have this picture following the resurrected Jesus as the humdrum. Oh, he's going to take my life away. He gives life. And so Matthew, can you picture Matthew after a long day? I mean, they've probably walked 20 miles. They've interacted with different people. They've heard Jesus teach. And they're sitting around the campfire. And Matthew's just going, man, this is a great group of guys. I can't believe I get to be a part of this. From the life I was as an outsider and what he's done in my life now, this is just such a blessing. But as he's sitting there around that campfire, he thinks to himself, wonder what my old friends are doing. They, they would really like this. Now, his old friends are like, what in the world did you do, Matthew? You left this lucrative business and you're walking around with some nomad rabbi. Huh? What's that? But he had found everything he'd hoped for. You see, Jesus had entered the zone of the unknown with Matthew earlier and called him into his community of followers. And now Matthew had this circle of comfort going on. 
But in this circle of comfort, he thought he thought to himself, wow, what about my other friends, the friends I used to have, other people I hang around with, people maybe I could. I, I need to introduce them to the resurrected Jesus somehow. This is the greatest gift I can give someone. What can I do? He was a rookie. He wasn't well-trained. He didn't have a lot going for him in the spiritual qualification side of life. But one thing Matthew knew how to do was have a party. And so he thought to himself, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to throw a party and invite my friends. And then I'm going to invite some of these other guys that I'm hanging with now. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe some of them will take a walk across the room and begin to mix and mingle with my old gang. Matthew knew how to throw a party. And he threw a party. The Pharisees show up, and what happened? Hey, why are you walking around and being with this scum? Jesus says, what? Listen, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. Today is the day of salvation. We get to do this. We get to influence one another to consider the grander things of God. And Jesus had called Matthew into that, and it captured his heart. He had grander vision living. I have a testimony for you to watch. Uh, again, our fourth and final from Bill Hybels um, for this series. And he describes modern-day Matthew parties. And this is where I'm going to go on the other side of this video, just so you know. Our priority is people. Our focus is on potential. How do we begin to walk it out observation-wise? Just do something that comes naturally to you. And guess what? You can throw a party. I don't know how it looks, but you can throw a party. Watch this as he talks about another person he had the opportunity to influence through a Matthew kind of party. There's a passage in Luke chapter 5 where a guy came to uh, hear Jesus talk and uh, his name is Levi or Matthew, same guy. And um, when Jesus saw him, he challenged him to leave everything and to follow him, which he did. And sometime later, uh, Matthew threw a party at his home with all of his old tax gathering friends. He invited Jesus and the disciples to come. And the way I understand the passage, the idea was that Matthew hoped that at the party, there would be some conversations with his friends who were far from God and then Jesus and the disciples and maybe a spark would be ignited and maybe a seed would be planted. But in the mix of a party atmosphere, maybe something spiritual would ignite and something good would come out of it. Well, I've been teaching this and practicing this for years. And I throw Matthew parties at my home with people uh, from my community quite regularly. I think who you invite to a Matthew party is very critical. Uh, it takes a little bit of emotional intelligence to decide who around the table would be good with so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. If, if you live on a cul-de-sac, it, it might be that uh, four out of the eight Homes around the wider cul-de-sac are filled with the kinds of people who would better be together with each other than necessarily inviting the whole cul-de-sac. You have to just think through life stage, age, um, life experience, and figure out, all right, who, who would probably do well together and enjoy meeting each other? And who you invite on the, the Christ follower side is even more important. And my general rule of thumb is you, you need to have a, a three to one or a five to one ratio of people far from God to than to the Christians. The Christians always need to be outnumbered in the group because if the balance ever goes the other way, then the folks who are apart from faith start to go, oh, wait a minute, we got a gang tackle going here. I think for the average Christ follower, if you want to get in the game, if you want to see your evangelistic energies released, throw a Matthew party.
I was sitting on the rail of a sailboat in a sailboat race and uh, getting to know this new crew that we had put together for our racing team. And when the guy next to me on the rail said that his name was Jim Glass, I laughed and I said, well, I went to school, you know, 20 some years ago, 25 years ago with a Jim Glass in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he said, what's your name? And I told him my name. And uh, we kind of rediscovered each other 25 years later. He asked me what I did for a living, and I told him I was the pastor of a church, and he just shut down immediately. I knew right then that uh, our faith journeys had gone opposite directions. Bill and I were raised very similarly. I know his roots. I live those roots. I went to school and the chapel every day and twice on Sunday and catechism, and I didn't like it. And I rebelled against it. But it was force-fed. It drove me away from, from the church. After we were racing together for probably two or three years, one night on a Friday night, Jim called me and he said, I have these Friday night gatherings at my house and wonder if you'd like to come. I said, well, what are they? Uh, they're dinner get-togethers with a bunch of friends and guests. And they're very uh, informal. They're fun, um, and they're very relaxed. And that was the first time that I saw any kind of personal warmth from Jim, any receptivity to me despite the fact that I was a Christian. And I always make a point of asking people to bring something. And if it's somebody new uh, and they participate in the process, they feel more relaxed when they come in. And so I went over to one of these Friday night gatherings. And what a ball these things were. The difference in the kinds of Matthew parties that I throw and in the kind of gatherings that I've been talking about at Jim's house is that these parties were made up exclusively of people far from God. And there was no seed sower in the mix. There was just no one to uh, try to ignite any spiritual conversation. And that's probably the role that uh, God had in mind for me to play. I think there was a certain amount of reluctance of people who were the regulars at the time because now we have a preacher amongst us. The conversation around the table was just raucous. And uh, at the end, everybody pitched in and cleaned everything up. And it, it seemed uh, sort of like you would experience with an extended family situation. Everyone has to participate in the process. People take ownership of it and uh, feel much more relaxed very quickly. There was just a warmth, an openness, and I was quite captivated by the whole thing. I don't recall if it was the first Friday night at Jim's where Jim asked me to say a prayer, but it was one of the early ones. So I'll never forget this. He was sitting at the front of the table, probably 15 people at the group that Friday night. And Jim said, could I have your attention, please? My friend Bill is going to say a prayer. <laughs> people were so shocked that Jim would tolerate a prayer, let alone announce it. When we were growing up, we would have dinner, and then my father would open with prayer, and usually it was a very lengthy prayer with lots of these and thous. And I realized that was going to be an important prayer. This was a time for me to talk to God conversationally in a way that could maybe enfold the people around the table. Bill has a wonderful down-to-earth way of praying that uses everyday words instead of the ones that I grew up with. When I said amen, it was totally different feeling around the table. That's what we were missing prior to, to Bill being part of the group. It has a magical way of being able to guide or start the conversation off in a new way. It's, it's powerful. I remember one night after the prayer, the conversation came to a bit of a lull. And I said, what would it be like if each of us just took a minute or two and revealed to each other kind of the highest high that we had in the last seven days? And it can be anything, the highest high and the lowest low. And someone jumped right in and said, well, I got high this week. And I thought, oh, man, 
that's not how I thought this exercise was going to go. But then he talked about it, and uh, other people engaged in the conversation, and I thought, okay. And then he talked about his lowest low. The next person jumped right in, and we went all the way around the table. It was very meaningful. We would talk about Cleo's dates or something, uh, and and if she had a good week, you know, and we'd get excited about that. And the following week, after I said the prayer, someone said, "Are we going to do the highs and lows again?" Because I've been thinking about it all week, and I had a couple of great things happen. So that became a pattern for a long time, until it wasn't even necessary to do the exercise anymore, because most of the people in the group came to the group looking forward to catching up with each other. And quite naturally, talking about their highs and lows. Probably three or four months into this gathering, when I started to attend, there was a woman in the group who had a breakup with a guy that she had been with for 13 years. And I could tell the minute she sat down at the table that night after the prayer uh, that she had something massive on her mind and heart, and. When we got to the low,、uh, she just unloaded and probably talked for 45 minutes、uh, about her heartbreak and this whole thing. The love that was extended to her around that table. This was just again a, a kind of family raw. We're in it with you. Our hearts break for you. And I remember that night thinking, man, this is a special group. With hearts like these, something good is going to happen in this group over time. It's certainly、uh, a much more positive message, and one that relates to me much more than the one that I had grown up with. Jim and I have a very interesting friendship, and I came to a point pretty early on where I had to say to God in my private times with Him, you know. I'm not going to turn Jim into a project. We have developed a friendship where I trust him. One night after Jim had experienced kind of a disappointment in his life,、uh, I spent some time on the boat with him after the other guys left, and I, I gave expression to that. I said,、uh, "Jim, you know I'm always going to pray that you'll open the door of your heart to the love of God. I, I can't not because I, I think in the long haul that would." Be a blessing in your life. I think、uh, it would really offer something great for you. But I want you to know, if you decide to never open that door, it's never going to affect our friendship. I'm much more relaxed about it, and I don't feel like that there is an agenda by Bill being there. It, but it does open for free-willing discussion of things that are spiritual. I think something that's hard for Christians to offer people far from God. Is a kind of radical inclusiveness. Sometimes we feel like we have to be sort of lifestyle referees for people. And if someone drinks a little too much, if、uh, someone gets carried away at a party or misbehaves a little bit, something in us、uh, rises up and feels like we got to straighten them out. And、uh, that gets misunderstood. Quite a bit by people who are a little far from God, and in their minds they're saying, "This is just who I am. Why, if you're such a spiritual person, why can't you offer a kind of open-hearted acceptance to me? Why are you trying to fix me and change me and and straighten me out? I, I like where I am. Say, my deal is I I will err on the side of radical acceptance." As opposed to the refereeing thing, and I'll stand accountable before God someday. I don't know if I'm getting it all right, but I'm going to err on the side of grace giving. That's for sure. I came from a、um, Dutch Christian Reform upbringing.、Uh, we were family oriented, but it was just the family. I can't recall ever having the freedom to bring over a neighborhood kid with me. And I really enjoy having people around, and I really enjoy、uh, making people feel at ease and building new relationships. Being in this group has really softened my heart a great deal, and it may end up in in 
the point where I make the commitment uh, without what we've done I would never have taken the first step Radical acceptance. You don't need to play lifestyle referee. Take people where they're at. See the potential that God sees them. And then just do something simple. Maybe it's a Matthew party. Maybe it's something else. It'll open you up to grander vision living. The Pharisees, they just did not get it. If I can say this, sometimes church folks today, we just don't get it. And if Jesus was in front of us physically, he would rock our world about it. Will it change your world? I've been asking God what it means for me. And um, there's one side of me that goes, Life's already full and busy. I already got enough relationships I'm trying to build Jesus. He says, Carrie, will you follow my lead if I kick open some doors? But you got to open your eyes and start looking at some people around you. I mean, a simple example for me this week was because we live on some acreage and our mailbox is a quarter mile from our house. I drove my car to get my mail with my daughter and we passed the guy who always walks his lab down our road. I think it's my lab because I got a lab that looks just like him. When I came back, because he waved at us on the way, I rolled my window down and I said, What's the name of your dog? His name's Cole. And then we introduced ourselves to one another. Just some few simple moments. I'm asking God, not only for us, for me, but for us as a church, to offer ourselves to live in a fresh, radical kind of way maybe to just beginning to accept people into our life. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. And I think sometimes we have struggle with that. No matter what dimension somebody's lifestyle is, it's just awkward to us. But you got to look at the potential. And I think some of the greatest transformative people for God are those that we will least likely pick and choose. Look what Jesus did with his gang. Look what some of you could give testimony to this morning with what God's done in your life. Observation number one is the priority of people. Number two is the focus on potential. And then just briefly with the scripture, the third is this. The labor begins in prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do? Break my heart again for lost people. said when I came here a year and a half ago and the board knows this that I didn't want to play church playing church to me means just going through the motions not playing church playing kingdom ball with Jesus means radical acceptance of people and readjusting our lives to be engaged and seeing people freshly redeemed and that continues to be my prayer week in and week out. Lord, change us. But you need to know this. It's a labor. It's a labor to be able to be involved in people's lives, see their potentials, and continue to encourage them and be with them for sometimes decades. It's labor. But know this, that the labor really has to begin in prayer. And with this, I have a passage from the Apostle Paul who labored in personal evangelism his whole life. And in Colossians, it says this, He's in prison writing this. So if you think that you're sort of handicapped in your ability to do personal evangelism right now, listen to this. Devote yourselves to prayer, he exhorted the Christians there in Colossae. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer everyone. The labor of prayer is the beginning. But there is labor in being able to build the relationships, develop friendships, discover stories, and discern next steps. And here the Apostle Paul says, not only pray for us that doors may open, pray that I may make the message clear and that I may be gracious and seasoned in all of my correspondence with those who are around me. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we thank you that we get to do this. That today is still the day of salvation. And that we can walk out these doors into our worlds afresh and anew for this week with full acknowledgement that your spirit is at work in the subsurface of life, changing and transforming people into vibrant colors and beauty that's beyond our imagination. Lord, may we willingly offer ourselves to participate in your spirit's work of reconciliation. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, whether it's just throwing a simple um, party, whether it's just walking across the room, across the street. May you prompt our hearts, and may we in these coming weeks, Lord, I think in terms of Easter being like two months out, may we see you kick open some wide open doors for the message of hope to resonate with people. Lord, use our lives. We commit ourselves afresh to you as a body of people for your kingdom's work. Lord, for even individuals this moment as I pray, who you've struck a chord in that you want them to do something, I pray that they would be bold enough to bend their knees and pray to you tonight to seek discernment for next steps. That they would not let go of the little tug on their heart that comes from your spirit that they've just experienced in these moments. Lord, May we not hear and dismiss, but may we hear and obey. Lord, may that be true in my own life. May that be true in our life as a church body. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks. <coughs> Worship team is going to close us with a song. Receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as you feel led, as well as your connection cards. Let's worship him. <coughs>